Hello, I'm Terrell Turner, and this is the Finance and Accounting Show. Now, today, one of the things that I am excited about is diving a little bit more into a CFO who's doing amazing work, but also just how the CFO role is more than just about the numbers. There is opportunity when it comes down to risk and understanding strategy and how that plays out, and your CFO plays an important role. So I'm looking forward to having our guests on today. So Stay tuned for today's episode. So without further ado, let me bring on Josh. Now, I'm hugely honored because Josh has recently been featured in Times Square on the big screen. Josh, how are you, man? I'm doing very well and honored to be featured with you in Big Time Square. <laughs> awesome, man. I guess, you know, we saw each other just before the new year ended. So how was your, your holidays and how are things going as you're getting the new year started? Holidays were fantastic. You know, this was honestly one of the first years that I really checked out for like a week and took a pause from email. You know, typically it's a super busy time for us in getting to year end. And it was really nice to be able to be ahead of the curve with clients and just step back and take some time to rest and relax. Nice, nice. I love to hear that. You know, I feel like that is becoming um, a, a growing trend of, you know, accountants and accounting firms getting out of the hustle of always playing catch up to like, all right, how can we become more proactive about the value we're adding to our clients, how we're thinking about things. And I think it it opens us up for to think about more stuff. So I'm very interested to talk a little bit about, you know, some of those unique ways that you're adding value to your client. But before we jump into that, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I, uh, I got my start at PricewaterhouseCoopers in their audit group, uh, both in the San Jose office and the Los Angeles office. And you know, really appreciated, enjoyed the experience there and found myself often gravitating more towards small businesses. And I inadvertently stumbled upon a couple cool projects that led me to the music industry and realized, oh, you can do accounting and work with DJs and work in music festivals and work in all these fun environments with creative peoples, uh, with creative people. And one of the things that was I think unique about that moment and, and call it right place, right time was you start to get this convergence of Silicon Valley meets Hollywood, so to say. And, you know, this was around kind of 2008, 2009, 2010. And, and I was right in the middle of it. And I, I took that leap out of a corporate job at a public accounting firm and, and, you know, took the literal and proverbial pay cut and started building my <laughs> consulting firm. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been about 15 years. You know, there's a couple of things in there that, that stood out to me that I want to ask a couple of questions about. I mean, the first one is, I mean, when you're working in PricewaterhouseCooper, I mean, you're working with one of the big four, which I started my career with one of the big four as well. And small businesses are not usually their ideal client. So, I mean, like as a professional, you're working in a big four, small businesses are starting to interest you like, I guess, 
did you ever get any advice where people are just like, hey, that's going to limit your career here in the big four? Or kind of did did your office happen to have some small business um, clients? You know, they think that they did. You know, there's there's that department for, for private companies, et cetera, et cetera. But to be totally frank, as you know, those who can afford the rates of the big four are not true, true small business. And, you know, the short story of my path along the way there was I really got to dive in and it sounds goofy, but like processing payroll and learning QuickBooks and all these really simple small business tools. And what that then opened up for me was really conversation around operations and a business as a whole versus you know, from that audit lens, engaging with the controller of the business or the accounts payable clerk or whoever it may be within a functional role and having that narrow conversation and bridging to then having a wider conversation with the business owner. And that level of engagement really tapped into my brain in a different way where I found so much more love for accounting and numbers and understanding the larger role that it played as I started to then bridge from, you know, call it accounting to finance, but there's sort of the the preparation of financial statements, which is what we're trained to do as accountants. And then there's the understanding and analysis of financials, which is more that CFO financial side. And learning that side became way more exciting and fun for me. Nice. I love it. I love it. I, I will say a, a man after my own heart, because I, I, I too think that I think you know, accountants get a bad reputation for just being all about the numbers. But at the end of the day, these numbers are a representation of something. And these numbers are telling some type of story. So I really want to talk a little bit more about just kind of your experience there of because when you're in the big four, well, I don't know about your experience. So I won't I won't assume for you. I would say for me, my experience in the big four was very technical, hardcore focus on accounting. We weren't really focused on, well, what does this mean for the business that we're auditing? So how was it for you kind of moving out of that technical accounting to really start looking at the operations? And did you find other people in public accounting who like would engage you in the conversations? Well, again, I think kind of unique time and place where I was there at the moment of Sarbanes-Oxley, which was, for those who don't know, the the uh, regulation fallout after Enron. And what that then did is it required auditors to not only go in and understand and validate the numbers, but to understand the process flow of those numbers throughout an organization. And again, being in Silicon Valley, which was leading a lot of technical accounting and forward-thinking businesses, and then down to LA with entertainment, I was in the forefront and and being able to engage in this conversation. So there were elements of that kind of op operational application of it. And it really was once I dove in and let's say rather than working with a hundred million dollar revenue company to work with a million dollar revenue company that I got to really have those conversations and affect those conversations and engage within that and, and truly advise and help direct. Gotcha. No, you know, that's it also interesting because when you're dealing with, let's say, a hundred million dollar company, pretty big company, um, a lot of times people don't have the fortunate opportunity to really dive into what are the risks for this business 
And how do I, as an accounting or finance professional, help with that? But when you're dealing with a $1 million business, it's just like your hands are all over that plus the numbers, the accounting. Yes. So how was that for you? I mean, just being able to really start to step just outside of the numbers and really looking like, okay, all right, what are the risks for this business and how do I as a CFO add value? Yeah. So I start to look at different components of the business and to call out one of them uh, and probably the one that people get laser focused on the most would be revenue and thinking about what revenue is dependable and what revenue is not dependable. What potential clients pay late, which ones pay on time. Let's back all the way up from that. When contracting with clients from like a service business, do you have auto ACH? Are you making it easy for clients to pay by enabling credit cards or ACH? Or do you wait for them to mail in a check? And, and, and even going a little down that wormhole, are you a business owner in the proverbial sense who gets a little bent out of shape about that credit card fee where maybe you should just absorb that 2.9% for the sake of getting paid quickly. And so Again, looking at that cash flow, cash cash is king, as we've always learned in accounting, and to to then understand where are the risks with that. What are the risks that you lose a key client? What are the risks that a client can't pay on time? What are the effects on the business, and and how do you navigate through that? So, those are elements at risk that I talk with clients a lot about. Mm -hmm. Nice. Now, I, I want to go back to, you know, one of the first ones that you talked about, because I had this conversation with clients and with business owners, and I realized that it's not something that you hear a lot of accountants. And to be honest, you don't hear a lot of CFOs talk about it. You talked about, you know, looking at their sources of revenue, which ones are at risk, mm -hmm. because I've met businesses, even when I work for Fortune 500 companies, people are like, oh, we always made money on this, but it's like, that's not guaranteed. Like, are you doing a risk assessment on could this source of revenue go away? So when you're talking to businesses, like how do some of those conversations play out or how do you bring that kind of conversation or help them understand why you're asking the questions? So it, it's it, the, the thing that is interesting about these conversations is that they're so nuanced and you can have elements of business risk of, of, of uh, something maybe operationally going wrong with the business. You have political risk. There could be regulation. Think about COVID within that, that the government shuts you down. How long can you keep going? Or what are you going to do with your people? Or what's plan B? Um, and you also then think about, uh, again, kind of within policy, what are regulations that might be enacted that, that require you to now augment the business? And do you have the team and capacity to respond to that? So by having those different conversations, and again, thinking about through the lens of cash in particular, because cash, as we all know, is the lifeblood of a company that keeps you alive or will kill you as a company without it, that where are your safeguards in place? Do you have you know three months of cash nearby, six months of cash, whatever's appropriate? Do you have a line of credit in place? No, let's go talk to it to your banker, you know, so those are how you then navigate those conversations. And again, you go from this really macro lens of thinking about how do we operate? Where can things go wrong? What is the risk of them going wrong? What is the likelihood of it? 
And then what are the safeguards in place so that there's as minimal of a disruption as possible uh, so business can continue? Thanks, thanks. Now, I guess as a CFO, I mean, do you often find yourself, um, I guess, you know, finding it difficult to explain what a CFO does compared to what people expect the CFO to do? So one thing I did a few years ago is I, I wrote a book called Numbers Scare Me and Other Excuses. And the, the driver of the book, the reason that I wrote the book is that I wanted people to understand that. I wanted people to understand when you ask a thing of a bookkeeper, you need to understand that role and, and limitations of that bookkeeper. Similarly, if you're asking a CPA for business advice, which I know you've touched on in prior conversations, they are technical people when it comes to tax law. They are not necessarily business advisors. Uh, and throwing the CFO role into that too, a CFO may not have nitty gritty detailed in, uh, information about transactions. And so therefore you need to focus on that strategy. So really defining and delineating those roles is something that I'm always explicit about and clear on what a client really wants and needs within that, that conversation. And ultimately from that, me as a CFO, I really focus on, I talk a lot about unit economics of a business and where I have really focused a lot of my client engagements and advisory work is around not necessarily a client understanding a full P&L and balance sheet and, and the very kind of, we'll call it technical nature of a financial statement. And rather we focus on the unit economics of what is your margin and just getting locked in on that. And for a business owner who maybe focuses on revenue a lot to know that they are safeguarded by having put good margins in place and through a pricing exercise. So, so that's how I've navigated those, you know, potential confusions around different roles of, excuse me, of different accountants. And then again, how I approach it so that they understand numbers and don't get too deep into the technical. Nice, nice. Now you mentioned about your book. So how did you come up with that name and that title for the book? So I will say that it was, uh, it was a long process of a lot of thinking and I pulled inspiration from two books. I pulled inspiration from Mark Madsen's uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck because I love the boldness of the title. And I pulled inspiration from uh, Seth Godin, who's a marketing author, and he had a book called The Purple Cow. And The Purple Cow was about, we've all seen a cow, but you've never seen a purple cow. So being different. And I, again, I really love the boldness of both of those titles. And I wanted to make an, a statement. And where it came from, from a practical standpoint, is something that I imagine you experience as well, is often when you walk into a a sales call or pitching with a new client, you often hear them talk negatively about their accounting team who you will be replacing. And I want it to come from a place of personal responsibility of, do you business owner understand, again, going back to that prior topic of the limitations in what you're asking of a bookkeeper when you might want a CFO or vice versa. And and educating that business owner through my book to better manage their team, better understand financials, better understand what they should be asking of, of their team 
and ensuring that there's a proactive approach to that. Because if it's a negative perception of just accounting, they're going to have that same negative perception of me. So it's all about educating. Nice. Nice. I love it. I love it. So if people are interested in getting a copy of the book, where's the best place for them to look? So you can go to numberscareme.com and you can also access it from my website, cfominded.com. Okay. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So one of the other things that I wanted to talk about, um, I mentioned it in the beginning of the Times, New York Times Square feature. So what was that like for your business? I mean, just to see your face, you know, a description of what you do and seeing it in the big screen in New York. What was that like for you? Uh, for me, it was surreal. Uh, for the business, you know, it, it was a really nice, flattering thing. I had a lot of wonderful people reach out to me. Uh, definitely led to some, some nice introductions to potential new clients. And, you know, and I think most of all, we all like a little validation and what we're doing and what we're building here and there. And it was a, it was a really nice thing between the, the firm that I've built and the book that I wrote and these things and the relationships that I've built between my peers and, and, you know, in that case, LiveFlow, which has been a wonderful technology partner uh, of mine, of both of ours. And, and, and to just see that community build. I mean, to me, that was the essence of what that was. It was really ce celebrating the growth in the community of fractional CFO. Nice. I love it. So how do you use LiveFlow or what, what kind of role has it played as you've been building your firm and really helping your clients? It, you know, it's really been a nice tool for me to build some very basic dashboards for clients. I think the best example that I can bring uh, would be an e-commerce client where I can build a dashboard and just week over week sales and just keep metrics very simple in a way that they can get these live real-time updates and put a couple KPIs around it of, last week over this week and what was the change and and again going back to a place of clients business owners don't always resonate with financial statements but they do resonate with dashboards and and one of the things that I try to impress and that I'm able to achieve with live flow is getting them away from watching the daily sales of deposits hitting their account and kind of obsessively checking Shopify or whatever it may be and rather having them take that step back and look a little more global, be it, be it weekly or monthly, and the trend around it. And again, us diving in and having conversations of what was going on, you know, to cause the the fluctuation. Nice, nice. I love it. Well, I, I can definitely see why you are a top CFO in your field and your area of focus. So before we wrap up, one final question that I love asking every guest that comes on is, you know, when you think about your experience and you think about just some of the things that you've talked about today. You know, if you were sitting and talking to another accounting firm and saying like, hey, here are two really big pieces of advice that I would share just based on what I've learned or based on what you've heard me talk about with Terrell today. So what would your two big takeaways be? So the two biggest takeaways are, number one, I found it very important to do brief check-ins on a very regular basis with clients. Maybe it's weekly, maybe it's every other week. And in truth, it's often just 15 minutes. And it helps me as a CFO continuously engage in the business 
And again, engage in a way that's not necessarily a financial close meeting, but rather kind of a what's up, what's going on? How can I help? How can I be a seat and a voice at the table with you and truly be a good advisor? So number one, these regular check-ins. Number two, I think it's really important at whatever capacity we're delivering service, be it at the CFO level, tax, bookkeeping, whatever it may be, to truly think about throughout a year, what do you want to be providing to those clients as proactive value? You know, so many of us are moving towards value building and, and, and engaging throughout the year with clients versus periodically. And what becomes important, I think, is to think about who are you as a professional what value and service are you wanting to provide and how do you proactively deliver that so that you really are adding value versus being in a constant reactive position that we can easily end up in. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. And before we go, can you tell us one last time, where can people find you online if they're looking to connect and looking to learn and keep an eye on all the cool things you're up to? Well, thank you for having me first and foremost. Uh, you can find me at my website, cfominded.com, and I am generally very active on LinkedIn, so you can find me and connect with me there too. Awesome. Great to have you, Josh. To watch the rest of the episode, go ahead and click the link in the comments. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on the notification bell so we can let you know the next time an amazing episode comes up. And if you love what we're doing at the Business Talk Library, consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It gives us more visibility and allows us to get this podcast to more amazing people.